So we're hanging out in the book of Jeremiah for a few weeks, and you might remember last week when we kicked off with Jeremiah chapter 1, that I mentioned that there are three main sections to Jeremiah. There's the first section, which is uh, God just kind of calling out uh, all of his charges against Israel. And the second section goes from kind of chapters 25 uh, up, and it is the section where it's basically about Uh, judgment and hope for Israel. And then the last section is about judgment and hope for the whole world, for all the nations. Now, we've got three weeks in Jeremiah. So logically, right, if if you're a bit like me, you think logically, break this down. How are we going to do this? In my head, week one, section one. Week two, section two. Week three, section three. And that was my hope. That was how I was thinking we were going to journey through Jeremiah together. But uh, something happened this week while I was reading. And I came across this verse. And no matter what I did, I just felt like the Holy Spirit would not let me let go of this verse. And so we're going to come to that in a bit. And we're going to hang out mainly just with that verse, which, which I'm gutted about. Because the second section's got some great stuff in it. Chapter 17, about this tree with its roots planted. And, 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 and how when people trust in God, they're like that. And, and they never have a worry in, in a season of drought. Their leaves are always green. What a great passage. Um, Jeremiah chapter 29, that's in the second section, where God says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. What a great section that is. And I was so looking forward to preaching on a couple of those things, but I, I couldn't get there because I just could not move past this. I felt like the Holy Spirit just kept pulling me back to this one particular verse. So, Um, we're going to get there in just a moment. It's in chapter 5. But as a little prelude to that, I just want to set this up by reading a few verses from Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 to 26. They read like this. I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty, and at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Now, If you uh, have been tracking with us for any length of time, you'll know that I love the Genesis narrative. And hopefully, as I read that, you're kind of going, that sounds familiar, right? But as you look at these verses, what you see is the reverse of Genesis 1, literally the reverse. So Genesis 1 starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you look at verse 23, we've got the earth and then the heavens. It's in reverse order. Um, Let's just talk a little bit about the earth section, okay? So God, when in Genesis 1, when God forms the earth, he notices that it is uh, formless and empty. The the Hebrew phrase is the phrase tohu vavohu, and it literally means wild and waste, like there was nothing there. It's chaos, and it's just a mess. And God speaks in to the tohu vavohu, and he calls forth order and beauty. Now, as we look at this verse here in Jeremiah um, chapter 4, verse 23, we, we see again that he's looking at the earth. And what is it now? It's tohu vavohu. It's literally the phrase borrowed from Genesis 1, appearing here in Jeremiah chapter 4. The earth again has become formless and empty, wild and waste. 
And then you get to the line about the heavens. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and the first thing that God does is he says, let there be light. And he forms the light in the heavens. But here we see him looking at the heavens and there was no light. The light was gone. The light was gone. What have we got going on here in Jeremiah chapter 4? We've literally got de-creation. We've got the undoing of all the good and beautiful things that the Lord God had made and called forth in Genesis 1. And we get to Jeremiah chapter 4 and we see that mankind is so evil and so many things have happened that God's good world is unravelling and it's become tohu vavohu again and darkness is set in the heavens. Keep reading and, and you'll just notice that the Genesis language is everywhere. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking and the hills and they were swaying. I looked and there were no people. You see, Genesis 1 ends with God creating people in his likeness. Literally, when it says there were no people, it's saying there's no mirror image of the goodness of God. Like that is tragic. That is tragic. This is such a tragic, terrible, horrific story that Jeremiah is laying out here. The image of God, the image of goodness, the image of love and hope and peace and joy is gone from the face of the earth. It goes on and, and it says there were, um, every bird had flown from the sky, that the fruitful land had become a desert. It literally just is the undoing of God's good creation. And that is the context here of what I want us to read into as we go into chapter 5. Jeremiah literally lays out the creation poem in reverse order and says, look at what has happened to the earth. God created and mankind has undone his creation and has formed this tragic, horrific decreation upon the face of the earth. Isn't this the story of today? I, I, I was... Uh, just driving in my car the other day, uh, listening to the news. And it broke my heart just hearing that, that figure that over two million people have now died from the coronavirus. Two million. Two million people have died from coronavirus around the world. More than that. And that figure is still growing every single day. Um, it went on from there to talk about some more stories and... Um, Literally, the next three stories that came up on the news, one after the other, there was a story uh, about a stabbing, about someone who had been stabbed. That was in England. We're not talking about in America or in some other country. Here in the UK, someone had been stabbed to death. Then there was a story about a shooting here in England. It's so easy, isn't it, to hear these stories and think, oh yeah, that sounds like America, or that sounds like some third world country where they haven't got all of, kind of the government system that we've got in place and the rules and the laws and, and, and maybe even the moral standard. We're quick to judge other places. But no, here in the UK, a stabbing and a shooting. And then a story about gang violence and children being caught up in gang violence Literally, even here in the UK, the story of decreation is rife and the world is falling apart and the image of God is disappearing from the face of the earth. Um, I, I don't want to get into politics. I don't know where you stand and I'm not going to start preaching about where I stand. Um, but as I was listening to the news this week as well, I, I feel like whether you're conservative or labor or whatever your view, that there were a number of stories this week that I just thought were shameful for... Um, for, for all sides. And, um, and, and not just here in the UK, but stories about America and the stuff with Trump, and even stories with the EU. And, and just, I just thought, 
All of it was shameful and just decreation, decreation. And um, the story about yeah, Myanmar and what was going on over there, again, another decreation story. Another story of human civilization falling apart, uh, of the forces of darkness kind of working their, their way in to God's good creation and bringing about decreation. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about all of this? And um, the first thing that I just want to pull out is that I think there's a lie in our modern world about how we as Christians are supposed to deal with this. And that lie is progression or progressivism or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's this idea that the story of humanity, generally speaking, is the story of betterment. We are getting better as time goes on. Look how much better we are now compared to 100 years ago, 300 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. But, do you know, I don't buy it. I do not buy it. And, and some things have got better. But as, as good has got more good, so evil has become more evil. And there is not this general traction towards betterment, towards the world becoming better and humanity becoming more and more good. Um, that is actually the lie of Genesis 3, isn't it? We could be better we could be more than what we are. We could be, if we just do this or do that, we could be better. Progressivism, uh, progressivism or progression or however you want to term that phrase um, is a lie. It's the lie of the serpent from Genesis 3. That humanity can make itself better if it just keeps trying um, and I think there's a number of ways that the church has even done that. Uh, over the years, we've tried to get more Christians in politics. We tried to get more Christians into key areas like teaching or various other things. Um, and, and let me just say, that is not a bad thing. I'm all for that. Like, I, I really am. I'm all for good people being in influential positions. But I want to just say this, that that is not the solution to the world's problems. And I think that the church, in some ways, uh, particularly in recent history, has lent back on that as if like that's the solution. If we could just get more Christians in politics, we could transform everything. But uh, that's, that's just not true. It's just not true. And it's been tried. And we are foolish if we think it hasn't been tried in the past. Because it has. And we keep trying these things. What we, we don't need more Christians in politics. What we need is more Christians to be on their knees crying out to the God who can do something. That is what we need. When we read the story of the book of Acts, and we see the massive change that started to come into the world and people's lives starting to be turned around. It wasn't because the disciples worked their way into political positions. No, it was because they preached the good news of Jesus. And then the power of the Holy Spirit moved upon people and moved throughout their communities. And it was the power of God through the spoken word of Jesus that transformed the world around them. That is what we need. Now I want to jump into Jeremiah chapter 5 and I'm not going to read the whole thing but we're going to read a couple of chunks of it and I want to talk about it as we go um, and I just want you to hold in your mind that idea of decreation. De God has created this good world but the story of humanity and we talked last week didn't we about choosing God's story or the human story and the human story is one that says we can rewrite this, we can do better. And actually what we discover is that when that story is read, when that story is listened to, when that story is followed, what we discover is the story of decreation. The only one who can recreate 
is the creator himself, and he is all that we need. So let's just jump in together. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. We could read this uh, like as if it was saying, go up and down the streets of Bristol. Go up and down the streets of your world. Take a look. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. I just want to pause briefly as a little side note. Do you notice that? If you can find one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth. One person who does good and looks to the Lord. You see... Doing good alone is not enough. It never is. Humans trying to get it right is not enough. We need more than that. We need the power of God. We need to look to him. Although they say, this is verse 2, although they say, as surely as the Lord lives, still they are swearing falsely. Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. I thought, these are only the poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's the person at the top or the person at the bottom. It doesn't matter whether it's the poor or someone who is leading in a political position or are corrupt. None of it is right, is what God is saying. Jeremiah, take a look at your world. It is fallen apart. Decreation has settled in. And why? 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 Simply because they have not trusted in the word of the Lord. They've turned away from him. They don't know the truth. They're not looking for the truth. They have not trusted in the word of the Lord. And that leads to decreation. Why does that lead to decreation? Because because it is the word of God that creates. In the beginning God said let there be light. And there was. When he speaks creation happens. Life springs forth. But when other people speak and they're not his words, decreation creeps in. I looked and the light had gone from the heavens. Decreation creeps in. It is in the word of God that life springs forth and creation happens and it is even held together. The Bible tells us that all things hold together in Jesus. All things hold together in Jesus. It is only in him. That true life, hope, love, freedom, forgiveness, joy can be found only in him. Let's read on. Jeremiah chapter 5. I'm going to jump down to verses 12 and 13. Let's read those together. They say this. They have lied about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. Isn't that the Genesis 3 lie again? Oh no, if you do this, God's not going to do that to you. This world won't fall apart. It will stay as it is. Carry on. 
No, they've lied about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. The prophets are but wind and the word is not in them. So let what they say be done to them. You remember um, a couple of weeks ago, we were wrapping up Proverbs with chapter 31. We talked about the wife of noble character and how she was able to stand at the gate and speak prophetically into her community. Why? Because she trusted in the word of the Lord and she followed his ways. What we see here is God saying to Jeremiah, my word is not in them. They can't speak prophetically and call forth life because my word is not in them. Church, the church of Jesus is supposed to speak creation into the world. When Adam and Eve were created, God said, take this, go forth and multiply, go out across the world and take all of this life and let it spring forth. But do you know what? We've not been doing that. The church is supposed to carry on doing that. The church is supposed to speak creation, but it cannot speak creation to the world if the word of God is not in the church. If the word is not in us, then we cannot speak creation. All we do is continue to speak decreation. Jump to um, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. Let me read this word to you. It says this, speaking about his own people, uh, they dressed the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. They dressed the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Do you know, I just want to call this out. I think the church has been doing this. I don't mean counterslip, I mean the church has been doing this uh, for quite some time now. We we look at the world and, and we dress the wounds of the world. We dress the wounds of sin which always leads to death. We dress the wounds of sin as though it weren't serious. It's okay. Like Jesus loves you. We water the gospel down and we take the truth that is so powerful that Jesus loves the world and we water it down and we say, you know, he loves you. It's okay. You just be you. You don't need to change. Nothing needs to happen. You just carry on. Let us just stick a little plaster on that and it will all be okay. But do you know what? Sin is serious and it kills people. It leads to death. It leads to death. And we cannot just stick a little plaster on it. The Bible is serious when it says we're supposed to call out repent. But instead what we've been doing is saying no peace, peace, love, joy, grace. And those words, love, joy, grace, peace, they are such big words. They are so powerful. But we use them like they're nothing, like they're little things, like it's okay. But they are big, big words. And they're only fully understood when we recognize the big mess that we are in and how much we need those things. But the church has been saying, it's okay. Let's stick a little plaster on that. And when we do that, what we do is we partner with decreation. We allow decreation to keep happening when we don't call out the problems in the world. We don't speak prophetically. We don't say, separate light and darkness so that life can thrive. What happens is we partner with decreation and we allow the created order to continue to unravel and fall apart. We allow death to creep in because sin is rife. This stuff is serious. It is serious and it's on God's heart because he does love people and his church is supposed to be speaking that message out. But instead, what it's been doing is saying, no, peace, peace, it's okay, it's okay. That cannot happen. 
And the, and the reason that happens is because the word of God has not been in us. What we've been doing is looking out to the world. And we've seen a broken world. And we're moved by it. But instead, rather than taking the word of God which should be in us and speaking that to that broken world so that it might be transformed. Instead, what we do is we run out and we're guided by the broken world rather than the word of God. I'll use this as an example. If someone got hit by a car and they're lying in the side of the road and the car's driven off and you see it happen and you run over, what you don't do is lie down, put your arm around them and say, oh, it's okay, don't worry, let's just stay here. Let me show you love. Because that's not love. What you do is you're just actually just comforting their pain and allowing it to happen and carry on. What you need to do is tell them, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm going to call the ambulance. I'm going to get someone here. And even though it might be painful when the ambulance arrives, they're going to move that person and get them to a hospital where they can be helped and they can be healed. We don't want to move people. We, we just want to leave people where they are. Peace. It's okay. It's not okay. It is not okay. Let's keep reading. Jeremiah chapter 5. Let's jump to verse 26 and read through to the end to verse 31. 26 says this. Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch people. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the case, the just case of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people, they love it this way. But what will you do in the end? What, what a tragic, tragic verse. What a horrific, if that doesn't move you, I mean that breaks my heart to read that. And that's what God was seeing when he looked at his people and what the, the, the corruption and all that was going on there, that they hadn't caught his heart for his world to bring about creation. They partnered with decreation. And that line that says, and my people, they love it this way. They love it this way. They just like to be comfortable and cozy and warm and do what they have loved to do, not caring about the world that I've put them in to bring about more created life and order. They love it this way. And then there's that line at the end. And this this is the line that I could not move on from. This, this is the line that I really believe the Spirit of God wants to speak to us today and to challenge us with. This is it. But what will you do in the end? But what will you do in the end? Which story are you choosing to listen to? God's story or the human story? The story of creation or the story of decreation? Because ultimately, God is bringing about recreation. The Bible goes like this. Creation, decreation, recreation. New heavens, new earth, new life with Jesus for eternity. And all that decreation stuff, God's going to do away with it. So which story are you partnering with? Which story are you inviting people into? What will you do? Jump to chapter 6. 
and read verse 16 with me. It says this, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. What a challenge that is. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. You know, today we are standing at a crossroad. Church, I tell you this. When we come back together again as church, I don't know whether that's going to be summer, autumn, or even next year. Who knows when that will be? But we cannot come back and be the same as we were before. We stand at a crossroad. Our world has changed. Our world is different. Our world has been transformed. And we need to step up and be the people of God and be the church. We are standing at a crossroad. Which path are you going to take? God's inviting us. Look. Look at the crossroad that you're standing at. And then he says this. Ask for the ancient paths. So often we're looking for the new way forward, aren't we? What's the new way? How do we do a new thing? How do we bring about the the new way of doing it and connect with a new way to our world? What do we do? What's the new way? But no, listen to the word of God. Ask for the ancient paths. There is an old way. There is an ancient way. And I'm not talking just about 50 years ago or 200 years ago or whenever it was back to this age of the hymns or that age of Christianity in the church in England. I'm talking about way, way, way back, back to creation. There is an ancient way where the word of God brings life and hope and joy and peace. There is an ancient way and it is the way that was before the beginning of time. It is the way of Jesus. It is the way of Yahweh. It is the way of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the ancient paths. I've been banging on about this word, Iyada, for weeks. And and hopefully you're getting it. And if you haven't heard that stuff and you've missed a few, go back and listen through the stuff in Proverbs and catch up with that. I encourage you to do that. Yadah, it means to know. But it means more than to know about. It's this intimate knowledge to really know, to be so close, to be interwoven. It's used in the Bible to mean for a man and a woman to, to, to have sexual intercourse, to love one another, to lie with one another, to know, to intimately know. And this is the problem, God says. This is why it's all fallen apart. Because you don't yadami. It says it in chapter 9, verse 3, verse 6, uh, verse 13 alludes to it. Uh, this, you don't yadami. My people haven't acknowledged me. They don't yadami. And this is why everything is falling apart. This is why decreation is, is creeping in to our world. Because the word of God is not in us and we don't know him and know it. And so therefore when we speak, We're not speaking life to our world. It also uh, says about obeying him. Chapter 7, let me just read verses 22 and 23. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let me just pause there. What God is saying is this. He's like, do what you want with that. Because you're missing the point. Because I did not just give you laws and rules about how to worship, about how to be religious. 
I gave you those on top of something that was much deeper to help you understand something. But the deeper thing is more important. And God says this in verse 23. But I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. God's heart is that it would go well with you. God's heart is that you would know him and that life would flourish. That's Genesis 1. That is it. He's never changed. He wants life and hope and goodness to spring forth in this world that he has created. How does that happen? When we obey his word, his created order, when, when, we, when we follow the way that he has planned for things to work, that's when life springs forth. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey me. We sing songs about loving Jesus a lot, don't we? And, um, and I, I, I hope it's true for you. I, I mean it. I do love him. I'm amazed at what he's done. I'm amazed at the cross. I'm amazed at his grace and his forgiveness for my life. And there are so many things that I have needed that for. And I, I am so thankful to him for that. And I love him for that. But not just for what he's done, but for who he is. And Jesus is really clear. If you love me, then you will obey me. You will choose to live my way. You will choose my story. You will choose my word. If you really love me and you trust me and you have that yada intimacy with me, then you will live this way. If you have faith in me, if you are pistis, remember we talked about that. If you are persuaded about who I am, then you will live this way. You will obey me. The righteous, those who have right relationship with God, will live by faith. They will choose to trust the way of Jesus and obey him even when it doesn't suit their purposes, when it doesn't match their feelings, when it doesn't line up with what the world says. They will choose him. So, what will you do? What will you do? That challenge at the end of chapter 5. What will you do? I want to just offer a couple of things uh, to us from Jeremiah about what we can do, what we can do. The first one then is this from chapter 13. I'm not going to read it all, but go check it out if you like. Jeremiah chapter 13 from verse 15 down. Jeremiah, he literally just cries out to his people. He calls out to his people. And I just want to remind you, they're not strangers to him. They're his family. They're his friends. They're the people that he's grown up with. They're the people that he goes to the temple with. They're his community. He loves these people. Okay, and he calls out to them to repent and to acknowledge God. He passionately calls out to them to repent, to turn away from that stuff and to acknowledge God. You know, I think that we often, we get scared to do this, right? We get scared to do this. What will people think of us if we do this? What will people say? How will they treat us if we do this? And we get scared to, to speak out the truth. But jump back to Jeremiah chapter 1, right at the beginning where God calls Jeremiah to, to be a prophet, to, to speak prophetically, to speak creation and life and hope, to, to separate light and darkness and bring forth hope into his world. God says this to him in verse 19. It says that when they speak to the people, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. But we have that church. He is with us. And when we stand with him and speak the truth with him, he, he will. He will rescue us. He is with us. And the enemy, 
who is at work in our world, when we declare the truth, he will not overcome us. He will not overcome us. The second thing I want to say about that is, I think that often um, we worry about upsetting people, don't we? We worry that if we speak out the truth as we see it in the Bible, that it will upset people, will offend people. And, and I want to just firstly say, we're called to speak the truth in love. So I'm not calling you to go out there and knock on your neighbor's door and rant at them about their sinful life. Let's get our own hearts in order first. And let's be humble, knowing that we have been forgiven much. And so we can help others to experience that as well. And we speak in love. But we do worry about offending people. And, and aside from just wanting to encourage you that when you do speak the truth, make sure you speak it in love. I just want to read this to you as well from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. God speaking says this, uh, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them, and they find no pleasure in it. And, and I think that's something that we just have to bear in mind and hang on to that the word of God will be offensive to people people don't want to change their ways maybe you know this I've experienced this the word of the of the Lord is challenging to me sometimes there are things in my life that God wants to challenge and change but I hold on to them and he wants me to let go of them and to be more like Jesus and to fully know his freedom and forgiveness and his hope and his joy and his peace but we hold on to things and people in the world do that too and the word of God can be offensive to them. And I just want to say that as truth. Because I want you to be aware of that. And not to be afraid of that. It will offend people. But there is only one hope for recreation in their lives. And it is the word of God. The same is for us. There is only one hope for recreation in our lives. And that is Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else will do it. Jesus and Jesus alone. So the last thing then that we can do, I just want to offer to you, is from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 20. Let me just read this to you. It says this. Now, you women and men, I want you to hear this as well because I think this is applicable to all of us, okay? So just because it says women in the text, let's all hear what, what is being said here. Now, you women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another how to lament. What can we do? Well, the first thing, if we really want to have something worth speaking into our world, then we need to have the word of God in us. And the first thing that this verse teaches us is to hear the word of the Lord. So step one, hear it. Hear it. This is why I'm encouraging you and we as a leadership team want to continue to encourage you to read the Bible every day. Now we're trying to encourage you to read the whole Bible in two years. Just two chapters a day. Just two chapters. Maybe one in the morning, one in the evening. But even if you can't handle that, go to today's reading and just read the first two verses. Just get into the habit of reading it. Let the word of the Lord start taking root in your heart. And in order for that to happen, you need to hear it. So step one is hear it. This is how, this is how we end up with something that is life-giving that we can speak into the world. It's only his word that brings life. Only as his word is spoken, life comes forth. And the second thing is this. Teach one another how to lament. I'm going to be really honest with you and say, I'm not very good at that. I need you 
to help teach me as much as you need me to help teach you. We're one in this church. And, and I think something that we haven't been great at is lamenting. I'm not good at getting on my knees and crying out. That's not something that I've been very good at. It's not something I've really been taught how to do growing up. And um, we need each other to teach each other. Teach one another a lament. Teach one another a lament. When we look at the world around us, it should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. And if it isn't breaking our hearts, and therefore we don't know how to cry out, then I think probably it's because we're not hearing the word of the Lord. That's the first thing. Because when we hear his word, when we realize how much he really does love the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't just give him away. He gave him unto death. He died. He died. He gave up his life. He loves the world that much. When we look at his word, when we hear his word, when we learn how much he loves the world, what his heart was for the world, what the world was supposed to look like when he created it in the beginning, and then we look out there, we walk up and down the streets of Bristol and we see what is really going on. It should break our hearts. And the thing we need to do, like I've said before, I'm not opposed to more Christians being in politics. I'm not opposed to more Christians being uh, in education. I'm not opposed to more churches running food banks. But none of those things are the answer. They will not fix this. They are plasters on a very big wound that needs more than a plaster. What we need is the surgeon. What we need is the life giver. What we need is to make that call, to call out the emergency services. What we need is the church of God to get on its knees and to pray. And to call out and to say, God, you and you alone are our only hope. So church, I ask you that question again. What will you do? What will you do? Let's pray. Father God, help us to hear your word. Help us to hear what it really says. To hear your heart beyond the words. To hear your love and your passion for your creation. To hear how much your heart is breaking. And God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Teach us and help us to teach one another how to lament, how to cry out to you. We need you. We need you in our church. And this world needs you more than ever before. We're not progressively getting better. Decreation is all around us. And you are our only hope, God. You are our only hope. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come.